0: Good morning Church. Great to see you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being able to meet together in the name of Jesus to worship you. We pray that as we reflect upon this particular portion of your word, you will teach us what you want us to hear and understand and apply. And we pray for the gracious ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, to our hearts and minds. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hope you've all got your Bibles open still, page 1033 if you haven't or you can follow it on the screen. But as we've heard the news out of Afghanistan then it's almost as though the gates of hell have been opened and all this evil is oozing out into our world and we don't know what lies ahead. And Zephaniah's prophecy is a prophecy given uh, at a time of impending doom and crisis uh, as the Babylonians approach Jerusalem to uh, utterly destroy it. It is a crisis uh, as far as we're concerned when we look at what's happening in Afghanistan and around the world. uh, It's been quoted as a crisis of biblical proportions. Um, It's as though uh, the apocalypse has happened, a revealing of all that is bad, all that is evil. And as we heard that passage, the opening passage of Zephaniah being uh, read, then we grasp this theme that underlines all that he is saying, uh, the day of the Lord, uh, the day of judgment, the day of wrath. Um, if you uh, enjoy music, then you will know uh, Verdi's uh, Dies Irai and a uh, most incredible piece of music. If you don't know it, then just go to it on YouTube. Uh, uh, Verdi's uh, Requiem Mass, and the most stupendous blast of drums and trumpets and massed choirs singing about the day of wrath, uh, the day of judgment. And it makes you tremble in your shoes. And as people listened to, heard this prophecy of Zephaniah, uh, then they must have been utterly downcast at these opening words. But the day of the Lord in the scripture is much more than a stomach-clenching, fear-inducing final judgment upon a, a loathsome humanity hated by God. It is God's way, the day of the Lord, the day when God acts decisively It is his way of restoring the balance to his amazing creation that was lost in Eden when uh, those people looked at the tree and desired it and saw it as a means of encouraging uh, their own greed, their own idolatry, their own lust for power, their own selfish desires. And that has become a kind of template uh, for humanity since that time. But God has worked, has intervened in the most marvelous, in the most marvellous way to restore the balance. And we see that God's restorative balance uh, began its ultimate phase, most remarkably, at the cross of our precious Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. just a, a word about approaching zephaniah as with uh, a lot of the old testament sometimes it seems god is addressing is addressing uh, the nations and that's fine and we take comfort from that it's all about what god's saying to the nations and not what he's saying to us personally perhaps but then often as in zephaniah god focuses down and speaks to his own people, to Israel, to Judah, to Jerusalem, as in this prophecy. And it's, this is about the church. And we have the church in the Old Testament, if you like, and the church in the New Testament. One church, uh, and we are a, a, a vine, a, 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 a root, a branch, grafted onto the vine of God's grace through the ages. And it's wonderful to know that God is working through his church. And he is addressing his church regarding these grave issues. Uh, and that leads me to say something else. And this is from Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, maybe you'll be familiar with this passage last, last week when we were looking at Habakkuk, uh, and we focused on Habakkuk 2:4: uh, the righteous, the just will live by faith, quoted by Paul in his opening chapter uh, of his letter to the Romans. But then he goes on, this is Paul going on in Romans chapter 1 verse 18, he says, The wrath of God, the day of judgment, the the day of the Lord, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all, the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And he goes on to say, Because of that, As in Eden, God has given them over to the consequences of the choice they have made. And again, that's something he goes on to say repeatedly. God has given them over to all kinds of attitudes and actions. And then he says the most devastating thing, does Paul, in chapter 2, the opening verse. He says this. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you pass judgment, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, this is God not speaking through Paul to the nations, but God speaking through Paul to the church. This letter is addressed. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Are we loved by God? Are we called to be his holy people? Yes, yes we are. So these words are to us. And we share in what God says to the whole of humanity. God has given over humanity to go its own way. And despite the grace of God, humanity identified in the church of Jesus Christ is in the same state as ancient Israel. We are the people of God and yet we are in a cataclysmic state of utter mess. Now if I say to you uh, messy church, uh, you'll know that in many churches uh, messy church means you get um, parents and kids coming together to a particular activity Uh, and the kids can do all kinds of messy stuff and they can have a really romping good time whilst the adults get something else uh, within that particular service. Messy church it's called. Well, what Romans chapter one and two teach us is that God's church is messy business, full stop. We are messy church. And as you hear the reports about the appalling things that happen through church leaders and church structures around the world, child abuse and all the rest of it, uh, greed, destructive behavior, a history, uh, the history of the church is a litany of utter mess. So I want you to think particularly of, 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 that, of that concept, messy church. The church is messy and what Zephaniah says to us is that the church is messy but God has not left his church, no matter how messy it might be because the other heading I want you to focus upon is messy church and amazing grace and Zephaniah shows us how these fit together. So let's turn to Zephaniah chapter 1. These these Sunday mornings, we're just whizzing through these particular prophecies. So it's a very cursory glance. But follow with me in your Bibles. Verse verse 1 of chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, Zephaniah is a great, great grandson of King Hezaniah, his royal lineage, uh, and therefore has a certain amount of status as far as ancient Israel will be concerned. And Hezekiah was one of the good kings, uh, as you read through uh, the Old Testament scriptures. And he prophesied, he was active during the reign of Josiah, who again was one of the good kings. But it was the end game for Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel had, had been subsumed by Assyria and depopulated. Depopulated. There, there was only uh, Judah and Benjamin left uh, with the uh, capital in Jerusalem and they were being threatened and would be ultimately overrun by the Babylonians. It was a bad, bad time. But this day of the Lord is impending, this day of judgment, and and God is so concerned to try and get the people uh, to be faithful. We're 600 years before the time of Jesus. It's a long, long uh, gap before before the time of Jesus, but there's a sense very much in that by Jesus's day, Judgment after judgment has occurred and they've been uh, dominated by empire after empire, the latest, the empire of Rome, and Jesus prophesies that uh, very shortly uh, Rome will destroy Jerusalem, and that happened in AD 70. And since that time, cataclysmic events have happened to God's people in different parts of the world at different times, and our hearts just go out to that handful of Christian believers uh, in Afghanistan and what they must face at this particular time. But God speaks about the mess within his church. And this is what he says about it. Uh, So from verse 2 onwards, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, both man and beast, birds and sky, fish of the sea, idols that cause the wicked to stumble. And because this prophecy is a poem, um, uh, the writer is using the, the language of our hyperbole. That means he's using vast terms to describe a particular focal point. And the heart of this message is not about the earth as a whole, only, secondarily, about the nations that surround Israel and the nations of the earth but specifically about Judah and about Israel, about his people in the midst of their mess. And so he says in verse 4, um, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of pagan worship, uh, that uh, happens. Uh, they not only have pagan priests operating within Jerusalem, even God's own priests are mixing their message and mixing their worship. Uh, they're bowing down to pagan dogs, god gods. They're, they're offering their children as sacrifices to to the Canaanite god Moloch. Uh, they're turning back, verse six, from following the Lord. They neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. It's all incredibly superficial. And when we look at the state of the church today, the institutional church in all its various aspects around the world, maybe we look at our own Church of England, uh, and and you see the way in which the leaders of the church operate. You see the priorities of the church, and and you see the mixed messages uh, within the church, and it seems to be like an utter mess. So you hold on to this fact that God lives in the mess that we have made of his church. And so um, he warns, uh, uh, Zephaniah warns in verse 7 of chapter 1, be silent before the Lord for the day of the Lord is near. And uh, verse 8, on the day of the Lord's sacrifice I will punish the officials and the king's sons. Uh, uh, I I will punish, uh, declares the Lord, uh, chapter 10, Um, The economists, the merchants, all the people who from the political heads of the church, through the leadership of the church, uh, through to those who see the church as a source of money and wealth and power, I will bring judgment upon them and at verse 12, at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps uh, in the darkness to punish the complacent Oh, the complacency within the church. Uh, Those who are are like the the remnants of disgusting wine, uh, remnants left left in in the tankards. Um, Those who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. They're so complacent. God's far away. We can do our own thing. And how many people within the church hierarchies uh, think they can do their own thing, they have a, a great arrogance, uh, and, and God uh, and prophesies through Zephaniah, these people uh, think they can uh, do what they like. But verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near, and it is coming quickly. Uh, the mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. There is cataclysm happening. It's going to come. It's going to be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against Jerusalem and I will bring such distress upon the people why verse 17 because they have sinned against the Lord neither verse 18 their silver nor their gold will be able to save them none of their human ingenuity none of their human resources none of their organizational brilliance will be able to save them on the days uh, on the on the day of the Lord's wrath Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, that uh, the love of money is at the root of all evil there is. Uh, Greed is idolatry. It was there in Eden in Genesis 3. Uh, It has been there throughout the history of the church. It is in perhaps our own hearts and lives as well. And in the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed. Again, hyperbole to focus upon uh, his judgment against Judah and Jerusalem, his people. And it is in the, this contact context, we come to chapter 2, where having waded through uh, the mess of messy church, we have the light of amazing grace. So chapter 2, verse 1. Gather yourselves, gather yourselves together uh, before this decree takes effect. Gather, be together, be in fellowship, be in harmony, be of one heart and mind. Verse 3, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do his commands. There are some of you left, you are there. Oh, how the institutional church worldwide, the church that might be, has been described as being um, a mile wide and an inch deep. We've just a veneer of true Christianity over it. Hang in there. Pray together. Come together. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what the Lord commands, you who seek to live righteous lives. Keep seeking righteousness. Keep seeking humility because it is so, so important. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says blessed are those who seek righteousness jesus says this is the life of the faithful within this uh, huge um, conglomeration of movements that we call the christian church you can argue about the st- statistics it's the fastest growing movement in africa in latin america around the world and yet a mile wide an inch thick we see growth of mega churches what kind of faith do they build a mile wide, an inch thick. God needs his people in the midst of the mess to seek him with all their heart and mind, to be humble, to be righteous. And then the rest of chapter two is all about a word to the surrounding nations. We're going to skip over that, um, but you need to read it uh, by yourself. And we come to chapter three. And in chapter three, after the the glimpse of how hope if the Lord's people will gather themselves together and seek him with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. We come to uh, Jerusalem, the heart of the church, messy church once again, sin city, woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. How often the church seems to trust in material resources, in its wealth, in its ingenuity, in its programs, in its missions, in its organizations, and does not draw near to God. This is a crime a cry to the heart of the church and the heart of God to draw near to him. And he goes on to say to Zephaniah, verse 3, her officials within her are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves. Those with power are seeking to suck out what they want, to do it their way. Paul Anker's great song made famous by Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way, um, often used at funerals to commemorate a life And yet, that's the tragedy. Humanity has sought to do it humanity's way. I did it my way instead of God's way. And uh, back in uh, chapter one, uh, the people will be punished for their complacency. Uh, They say, God isn't going to do anything. God isn't going to interfere. Why bother? Let's just go on with the institution, raising the money, extending our power base. Uh, getting everyone to tick the box and sign on the dotted line. Her officials are like roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves. Her prophets, those people who are supposed to bring the word of God to them, her prophets are unprincipled. They are treacherous people. Her priests, those who are there to bring the, the offering, the worship of the people to the Lord... Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. Oh, it sounds absolutely awful, this mess the church has become. Yet, chap- uh, chapter 3, verse 5 the Lord within her is righteous, and morning by morning he dispenses his justice. And every new day he does not fail. He d- every new day he does not fail. God stays with his church, he's there. Up to his ankles up to his elbows in the mess the church has made but it is his church and he sticks with his people and he is faithful to his covenant promises that is the great message of Paul's letter to the Romans God is faithful to his covenant promises which he has fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and then in verse 6 God seems to speak to himself Oh, Jerusalem, verse 7. Oh, Jerusalem, I thought surely you will fear me and accept correction. And then things would have been better for you. But they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. And that is the church. Ah. And so what do we do? Verse 8, therefore wait for me, declares the Lord. Wait for me because there is going to be judgment, things are going to be sorted out. The most important thing for you to do is to wait for me. And then um, from verse 9 onwards, uh, uh, there is this amazing transition from this dire state of the church, this utterly messy, filthy, smelly, obnoxious church that we have made of God's gift to us and of the body of Christ he he must you know as the head of the church he must look at his body oh what must he think and yet God is faithful to his church and so we have not messy church but amazing grace from verse 9 of chapter 3 then I will purify the lips of the peoples that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and this reminds us of, of Isaiah's great experience of the glory of the Lord in the temple. It's recorded for us in Isaiah chapter 6 of his prophecy. Uh, and, and, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and he was struck by the sinfulness of his people and his own personal sinfulness. Have you had that experience? And the Lord promises, I will purify the lips of the people because God took a, 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 a coal from the altar and, and put it on Isaiah's lips and says you're cleansed, you're cleansed. So God promises here through Zephaniah I will purify the lips of the people that all of them may call on the name of the Lord. You can call on the name of the Lord because he has purified you through the blood of Christ. I will purify the lips of the people that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. this is the picture shoulder to shoulder um, two are better than one a threefold cord is not quickly broken the church together can be triumphant in the name of Jesus Christ we don't spend all our time trying to cleanse the church of this that and the other until it's nice and spotless and then it can be used what we do is trust in the purifying power of the blood of Jesus And then we stand shoulder to shoulder and we might be a a a weak poorly disconnected poorly trained uh, 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 company of of women and men and we may have so many faults and all the rest of it but um, uh, that famous axiom of lord nelson nelson no captain can go far wrong if he lays his ship alongside that of the enemy and so as God called Isaiah, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? He'd been purified, he'd be cleansed. Lord, send me. And God tells him, Yeah, okay, I'll send you, but you're going to have an awful time. And God says that to his church. But we go forward because Jesus is with us. On that day, verse 11 of chapter 3, you will not be put to shame uh, for all the wrongs you have done because I will remove the arrogant boasters. uh, Never again. Will you be haughty on my holy hill? You see, the Lord will learn humility. We will learn humility. And we will be faithful. Verse 12, I will leave leave within you the meek, the humble, the remnant of Israel. The army of God is his frail, fallible, messy church who will like the faithful remnant of Israel, trust in the name of the Lord, and he will be with them. And, and here's, here's this, this, this amazing um, I- experience of the presence and the power of God working through his defunct, uh, deficient-seeming uh, church, uh, and yet moving with power, not focusing upon the mess, read every single letter that paul wrote and you see he he starts with theology and the importance of what we believe but then he goes on to how we should live in the light of what we believe so all the time the church is in a sense reforming, renewing cleansing and it seems an an impossible job Uh, but god does not leave us god does not say i'm not coming in until you make it spotless he's right there in the mess with his broom and he's sorting stuff out through us and helping us and we must never ever be proud and arrogant and think well if i get rid of this then it's going to be great for the lord you know we faithfully work uh, through the mess because we've seen the light <laughs> and um the Lord is with us because we trust in his name. And so there's a wonderful response here from verse 14 onwards. Um, how, are we to, how are we to react to the state of the church at large, uh, to the state of the church individually, when we hear all these terrible stories about corruption and debauchery and everything else uh, within the church? How are we to react with the enemy at the gates? How are we to react? With hopelessness ahead, humanly speaking, how are we to react? Verse 14, sing. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. Ah, oh, now it's not talking about having perfect choirs, but it's singing with all our heart and soul and might, shouting aloud, being glad and rejoice. Why? Yes, the church is messy, but it is God's church and he will never leave nor forsake his church. And why? Verse 15 is the heart of it. The Lord has taken away your punishment.